Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar podcast. I'm Matthew Loveridge. Today I'm joined by Tom Marvin and Jack Luke. And today we're going to talk about a story that's been blowing up on Bike Radar in the last few days, which is Christini's new all-wheel drive e-bikes. Now, the concept of all-wheel drive on a bicycle is quite strange. That literally means driving both the rear wheel and the front wheel. Uh, Is that a concept that appeals to you as a mountain biker, Tom Marvin? Um, Having read what Christini say about about the process and about how it works and all that sort of stuff, the theory, at least, sounds great. I mean, why would you not want two sets of wheels driving you forward, providing traction, letting you razz through corners, you know, without worrying about the front wheel slipping out, understeering and all that sort of stuff. I fear the reality is maybe not quite the same as the theory. Um, And if I'm brutally honest, no, it does not appeal. (laughs) Is is it maybe worth explaining a bit about how the Christini bikes work? Jack, do you want to take that? Uh, not really, Matthew. I don't really understand it, but I'll do my best. <laughs> it's uh, like, a f- in fact, you know what? You do it. You go, You can explain. I think you, you wrote the story. You know better than the rest of us. So my understanding of their system is that they take what is sort of like a normal bicycle, as in you're pedalling and that's driving the rear wheel, and they, by a clever series of mechanical linkages, which basically involves shafts and helical gears and even a little bit of chain as well up, up front, they transfer drive from the rear wheel to the front wheel, uh, but that drive, because of a differential in speed between the wheels, only kicks in effectively when you need it so that it kind of acts like a traction control system um, we should point out, Christini's been doing these bikes for years and years, but the e-bikes are new. And I guess you could argue that maybe it makes more sense for an e-bike because, well, it's a lot of extra weight to carry around on a standard bike. On an e-bike, that's obviously less of an issue. 
Jack. Yes, and you've got, you know, the drag that's inevitably going to be introduced with that system compared to a regular bike. With an e-bike, you suddenly over, overcome that. One thing I thought was really interesting in the comments was people were commenting that, particularly, you know, particularly with an e-bike, you could very well have just essentially replicated the functionality of that system by putting a motor in the front hub. Which kind of, like, when you think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, that does kind of make sense. Obviously, it means you've got the draw of two motors, all that sort of thing. But, you know, I kind of appreciate it from a mechanical engineering perspective. The the thing that I didn't quite get about this Christini bike was... um, I've totally forgotten what I didn't get about it. It must have been so ungettable that I can't remember what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was it. The um, So... The whole traction control thing, the whole like um, front wheel not always gripping, well, not always being driven when it needs to be, you know, all that sort of stuff. How? How does that work? So as I understand it, the system is clutched and the front wheel is effectively always freewheeling unless a speed differential, unless there is a speed differential, which would be caused if one of the wheels is slipping and then that speed differential causes it to the clutch to engage and so it's no longer freewheeling the front wheel because it has a freewheel at the front as well as at the back whereas obviously we're not normally the front hub is just a dumb hub that turns and this is a little bit different tom i mean this sounds incredibly simple (laughs) (laughs) like you said jack i mean why not why not whack another um another motor in the front wheel i mean i i I get you know i guess the point of it is that if your front wheel is being, you know, when you go around a corner on a bike and, it, and it's a bit loose, it tends to be, you know, unless you grab a handful of brake, it's a rear wheel that slips, and, and the front one tends to be the one that's kind of going to slip of its own accord. And and maybe that is something. I mean, obviously there's a lot of body weight issues going on, but maybe there is something there that if it's driven, then then it won't do that. So I, I guess the theory of it, you know, or the sound of it, could be pretty cool. But as I said, Jack, why not whack a small little motor in the front and then just have a? I mean, it, it's only going to need like the tiniest processor somewhere just to sort of control it and then the other thing like if you've got a suspension fork and i'm sure they've worked this out like i'm sorry christini i don't get it but like <laughs> I don't, <laughs> if you've got a fork uh, bouncing up and down how does the whole thing like work this it, suspension is far more useful than two-wheel drive so is it is it suspended at the front uh, this particular I, bike is not, but they yeah. do, or they have in the past done full suspension bikes with the system. I think Man. if I was good to try it, there's, you know, clearly there's interest. It went nuts on bike radar. People loved it. Um, we're intrigued by it. I think if I wanted to try out the system, I'd want to try it out on an analog bike, as in, you know, a non-e-bike, just to see how that kind of feels. And you did a really good challenge, I think, earlier this year, late last year, Tom, where you did like an off-road climbing challenge. And in that kind of stupid circumstance where you're trying to ride up a downhill track, I think that would be really fun to play with it on that. I think I've, I've maybe just worked out where actually I do want this two-wheel drive system. right? So, you know, my opinion on fat bikes is um, there's a time and a place for fat bikes, okay, but there's very few times and even less places where I actually think it's a better option. A two-wheel drive fat bike somewhere cold. You know, I, I've been up in the Arctic in winter and fat bikes kind of work there. A two-wheel drive fat bike, that's where it works. As long as it doesn't freeze up, because obviously cold weather, lots of mechanical things. Is that going to work? I don't know. Well, it's fascinating. Clearly, you've got an idea for it. Christine, if you're listening, hit up Tom Marvin, send him <laughs> to the Arctic. It'll be a I, 
I don't I, know if I ever want to do the Robin Yemi 150 again. It was a great day out, but Jesus. I think we all agree that we would love to try one of these bikes, but yeah. whether we recognise it as like a viable solution for anything is perhaps another matter. Actually, one bit of context is interesting is that on in motorbikes, two-wheel drive was mooted for many, many years, and there were actual working two-wheel drive prototypes in the 90s and the 2000s. But eventually all those projects ended up getting shelved and nowadays motorbikes have incredibly sophisticated electronics which provide traction control and make things much more idiot proof and i think that's kind of analogous to what we were saying like what christini have done is they've taken the legacy system from their analog bikes and put it on their e-bikes but really if you came at it with a blank slate would you do it that way maybe not tom so these motorbikes that have this traction control, that's an electronic thing where it's got speed sensors in the front wheel, right? Uh, in modern ones, yeah, they're much more sophisticated than that. They've got like multiple sensors for like lean and stuff. So it's integrating a lot of data together to make sure that you don't kill yourself, basically. <laughs> I mean, do you think that in, you know, five, ten years time, we might actually see that on mountain bikes? Because traction control sounds great off-road. Maybe. I guess you wouldn't Does ever it? have it on an analog bike, though, because that would mean something that's literally like interrupting the power that you as a person are putting out. So that would be a bit of a weird thing, obviously, a level of complexity and weight that you probably wouldn't want on an analog bike. But on an e-bike, yeah, sure. Why not? Speaking of other um, slightly odd um, bikes for maybe very niche interests, so when we were looking at doing this podcast, I had a, a little brain reminder of Helen Skelton, um, the famous Blue Peter presenter, um, who um, headline-wise, anyway, rode to the South Pole. Um, but she did on a, a funny Heinbrink, um, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, fat bike. And it was a few years ago, but fat bikes did exist back then. But she did it on this weird-looking, kind of like monkey bike type thing. You know those little motorbike monkey bike things? Mm -hmm. It kind of looked like that, but in bicycle form. With, I mean, it had fat tyres, but tiny 20-inch wheels, I think it was, and suspension forks. And I was like... Why not just do it on a normal fat bike? It'd be so much better. There's, it's all these funny bikes, isn't it? That 20 that, inch wheels, perfect for losing them down crevasses and the like, you know? <laughs> exactly. And smoothing them. Why smooth the ride with a suspension fork when you could just have a slightly bigger wheel? That was a very strange choice of bike. And I remember when I saw that at the time thinking, it doesn't look like she's had advice from people who know bikes. It's She's had it from like people who do polar exploring but maybe don't understand bicycles. It was the perfect, opportunity, the perfect opportunity for a fat bike manufacturer to be like, this is what they're all about. You can do this on a fat bike. But no. She should have asked us. <laughs> should have been. <laughs> right, I think we've done, uh, done all-wheel drive. Um, another hot story that we've looked at in the last week uh, the Trek Demani AL, which is a new entry-level aluminium disc-equipped road bike. Um, it's the endurance side of things from Trek because they have the Amonda, which is their race bike, and then the Demani, which was always their fancy, squishy endurance road bike. But the Demani AL doesn't have any squishy technology, but is a very appealing endurance road bike. Jack, does this one tickle your fancy? It definitely does. It tickles my pickle. It's just kind of a perfect, simple, you know, do-all road bike with geometry, which isn't, you know, too aggressive. It's not too upright. But critically for me, it's got massive tyre clearances. It's built around a totally unfussy standard. So no BB90 nonsense. We're just a good old threaded bottom bracket. And critically, it takes mudguards. I am a mudguard 
fanatic and at any opportunity I'll fit them to my bike and you know it's a really sorry state of affairs in the road bike market where mudguards are normally the sole reserve of your steel heavy kind of older style road bikes so to see it on a properly modern alloy road bike with good clearances big thumbs up for me and some pretty tasty builds for you know decent competitive prices so one I suspect that will be very very popular in bike shops across the country does it very good in that gold paint job they're doing as well. Does, do you like this one, Tom? Do you like a mudguard on a road bike? Uh, I mean, I'll be honest. My taste in road bikes is basically as aero as possible with as deep section rims as possible and as aggressive as possible. So personally, I, I you know, I, I totally think it's going to be an incredibly popular bike. From an aesthetic point of view, I want something super, super aggressive, which doesn't have mudguards on, I'm sorry. Unless it's maybe a gravel bike, in which case there's different rules and that's all fine. Yeah, You're such a man of the people, Tom, so accessible in your opinions of the sport. Mm. I'm afraid I'm completely with Jack on this one. I like a practical road bike. Um, Trek, incidentally, officially says you can put 35mm tyres on this or 32 with mudguards, which is nice because it means that you've got probably a bike assuming it's reasonably comfortable which i expect it will be where you can dabble in a little bit of all-road gravel type stuff without rattling yourself to pieces um it's definitely going to be a hot seller we're really looking forward to reviewing that one uh, moving away from from the trek and I, I hope you didn't you don't mind me doing that one of the things that i've really liked on um on radar this week has been this story about rafa um now, Rafa do obviously get a lot of um, just, well, maybe unjustified, but a lot of a lot of stick sometimes for very high-end expensive kit. But um, so they're, they're behind this um, thing called the Women's 100, which is a, a way of increasing, you know, of encouraging women on a particular date. I think it's the uh, 6th of September to go and ride 100 kilometres. Um, obviously a great thing, but they're, they're marketing um, for this uh, sort of, scheme they're doing um and with the kit that goes with it um has got a obviously it's all it's fronted by women it's fronted by emily chapel who actually we did a podcast with um quite a few months ago um and all their marketing material has got a really diverse set of models in there um which is i, I think it's really it's something which we don't see much in cycling it's something we've talked about certainly within our team about diversity and um seeing a brand like rafa really take it forward um, I, I think is really impressive and, and a really good thing. There's a story um, on Bike Radar about that at the moment. Just wanted, I just thought it was worth highlighting. It is definitely worth highlighting. I think, if I'm not mistaken, something like 50% of their, mar- uh, not their marketing, their sponsorship budget next year is going to go as well towards BAME and other underrepresented groups in cycling. And I think that's a really commendable thing. And actually segueing beautifully back to Trek, you know, even with uh, brands like Trek Specialised, they've gotten a lot better at you know, making sure that their representation in marketing is diverse and reflective of everybody that cycles. Um, You know, it's very easy for us to say in our position of privilege from the cycling media Illuminati headquarters, but representation does really matter. And I think it's a commendable thing. um, And I hope it continues, frankly. This would normally be the point in a podcast with three white guys where I have a hot spicy take and disagree with you. But I agree with everything you just said. Uh, I think Rafa has sometimes justifiably been criticised for being a little bit pretentious, but as a brand, they are 
really good at representation and I think we could learn from them and a lot of other brands could learn from them. Should we do one final story, which is that Continental has launched a Tanwall limited edition version of the GP5000 road tyre. Jack, Tanwalls, hot or not? Hot, 100% hot. Every bike should have them. They look fantastic. Anybody that says they're a cheesy throwback, well, I've got a pretentious art degree. I love Rafa. So no surprises. I'm well behind this. And the reaction to the story has been uh, mixed, to say the least. There are always people that come out the woodwork. Tom is looking horrified on the other side of this team's call right at this very moment. But I think it's a great thing. I actually went to the launch of the GP5000 uh, I don't know, two odd years-ish, maybe ago now. And I asked the question at the launch, you know, oh, are you going to do a Tanwall one? And I was met by quite bemused glances from the Continental team saying, well, what? why would you want Tanwall tyres for a race bike? But every single top-end bike that's been released in recent years, it has Tanwalls on the top-end bike because they look cool. No questions. I, I am going to jump in and I bloody love it. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I do think it looks absolutely wicked. Um, so, All right, sorry, Jack, I, I, I do agree with you on this. Um, they've done a great job with that tyre. It's it's only available in, like, what, limited widths, not tubeless, all that funny stuff. So they, have they have they messed up there? Should they? Did I read that or am I barking completely the wrong tree? Correct me if I am wrong. Jack, do you know the answer to that? Because I actually don't. <laughs> Uh, no, because the uh, connection just cut out as Tom was talking there, and I only heard the very end of his question. <laughs> <laughs> My question was, am I right in thinking that it's only in limited widths and not tubeless compatible? Yes, absolutely. I mean, that is, it's, that's it's only 25 mil width, and it's only uh, the regular clincher, not the tubeless one. I, I would be astonished if these don't sell out in a heartbeat, and if Continental doesn't follow and just give every single tyre it produces in a tubeless compatible version with tan walls, then more fool them because they will sell them. When I also, I went to the Tour Down Under last year and they launched a limited edition tan wall pro one then. I don't know if that's gone to full production now, but again, it was only available in Australia. And I went to a shop there that somebody I knew runs and uh, they just said they sold out in minutes. So yeah, Continental, just make them. People will buy them. Top tip then, if you are listening, um, and if you find a shop which has the Tanwall Conti GP5000s in, buy as many as you can, keep hold of them for two or three months, and then flog them for a massive profit on eBay. <laughs> Other auction sites are available. Yes, Brilliant. do 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 that. Right, thanks very much, guys. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Jack. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. And uh, please check Bike Radar for all the stuff we've mentioned. We'll put links in the article with this podcast for all the bits and bobs that we've talked about. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.